0: Dialed fam, happy Monday, and welcome to the Dialed Health Podcast. My name is Derek Thiel. I'm the owner and head coach here at DialedHealth.com.
1: And I'm Amber Simon, project manager of DialedHealth.com.
0: And I guess I'm spoiling the announcements because those are coming later in the episode. But you might've noticed I said, happy Monday. We are on a new podcast schedule, people, that we'll get into more detail about why we're trying it out later. But it felt weird. I had to pause. I almost hit you with the Wednesday, but it is officially Monday. So I hope you love starting your week with this episode. And I know it's right after Thanksgiving. So hopefully the holiday transition has been really smooth for you guys. And we were excited about posting this after Thanksgiving because we didn't want anything to overshadow it. And why is that, Amber? Is this like not maybe the best episode we've done together so far?
1: It is definitely the best episode we've done so far because we had the best guest and it was the best time.
0: Your chemistry, I think, with the guest in the sense that like the way you guys related on the topic, which I guess I'll just say right here, it's about mental health. It was awesome. I mean, I sat back and just learned some stuff that I haven't really, I guess, heard before, but also it changed my perspective on a few things and really just opened my eyes to this whole conversation because it's something that I've been open to, but I didn't understand the extent. Uh, or how really deep it goes for people. So uh, we should probably say our guest is... The 2021 Unbound XL Gravel winner, Taylor Ladine. Now, we had him on the podcast because I have personally listened to his Successful Athletes podcast with Trainer Road. Amber has since listened to it, but they brushed up on this topic and it was really intriguing. And so we dive into it deep right off the bat. And then we do pull it back with some more lighthearted talk about his nutrition stops on these 350 mile races at gas stations. And there's some really interesting riding tips kind of along the way. And same thing with training. But I think what you'll take away from this conversation is going to really impact your your mental health and well-being both on and off the bike, which is really cool.
1: And after that awesome conversation with Taylor, we're going to jump into member questions. The first question is about how WHOOP and how other HRV monitors and how they're applicable to strength and cycling. And then our second question is about juggling and balancing family life with work, riding, self-care, all that good stuff. And then we're gonna go into announcements, big changes on the podcast schedule, update on winter kits, and a big apt update.
0: So without further ado, let's dive into the episode. So Taylor, one of the most I don't know if ironic is the right way to say it, or just the funniest things about mental health and ultra endurance is that on some in, in some ways it seems like it's the best thing to go and do. If you are struggling with something, I mean, I think every cyclist knows the feeling of going out on a ride with something you need to work through. And then right before the end of it, you get hit with that answer that you need, or you feel like you resolved an issue on that ride. But at the same time, if you're going out and you feel like your head is the last place you want to be, and you're on a solo mission for a day's long ride, doesn't it seem like that's the worst place to also be? I mean, is this like the weirdest concept? It's the best and worst place.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like the ultra endurance stuff is interesting because you're, you're totally right. It can be the best place to be in your head, or it can be the worst place. And I think in the past I've tried to balance, or I've been in both of those scenarios of it being the worst place I can be, but also being the best place I can be. As of lately, I've been trying to really, I've I've kind of relied on my cycling to make me maybe happier in ways and like rely on that feeling of completing like a long training ride by myself and I'm working towards like trying to be happy with with or without that ride, you know, and trying to be comfortable in my own headspace all the time. And it's it's not to say it's like that every day, but thinking like that I think is a healthy way for me to move forward for sure. Dang.
0: I actually feel like I just got a little therapy right there. I hadn't thought of it that way. Is that don't make the ride the thing that makes or breaks you. It's got to be something that you realize has to be resolved whether you get a chance to go ride or not. And that ride could be the resolution or maybe it's not. But either way, you have to solve it outside of that time. That's good. Did that hit you, Amber? Like it just hit me. I was like, oh, I didn't even think of it that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're always depending on time to go ride to resolve the things in our head, we may not get the chance to ride that day. So it's like you have to work through that stuff regardless yeah Yeah. (laughs) she may not get to go ride
2: my wife did a good job of bringing that up to me she's always like hey if you have a good ride or a bad ride that shouldn't dictate your day whether it be your mood your where you're at mentally like if anything it's just another motion of the day and it's so much easier said than done like i don't have it figured out and i'm not perfect at it but i'm doing my best to just have this like even keel throughout the day if i do have a great ride if i have a horrible ride the day's still gonna go the same regardless
0: That's interesting. It reminds me of the idea of stoicism in a way, which are are you guys familiar with that? Just Ryan Holiday preaches it a bunch. He has some great books on it. The whole idea of being kind of more stoic or even keeled throughout the day, uh, is that kind of what you're hinting at?
2: Yeah, it's just a, it's something that I'm going through every day of, of trying to not get too high and then not get too low, right? So in the past, especially when I was really young and I noticed that I was dealing with with issues and I was I was young enough where I just knew that something was off but it was just like that like I would ride a high way higher than I should and when I would hit a low it was super 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 low and I never was able to find this kind of level playing field that I could live my life at and for me going high and going low is just not it doesn't work for me at all like it's just not it's not a healthy way to live
0: Yeah. Does it seem like you can focus on that even keeled kind of demeanor because you naturally tend to go high and low? Because at the same time, I think part of me is like, we want to feel stuff. We want to feel the excitement and the victories and that mountaintop feeling. And I don't think it's a bad thing to feel low uh, in a sense where... It can drive you or help make better decisions in the future in fact i've even talked about it on the podcast which is like something i think amber and i laughed at together for a while is that it's like the idea of letting guilt fuel you in a way where like it's okay to actually feel guilty or we talked about shame last week on the podcast and to let that not define you but to also acknowledge it like this is happening how do we move forward and move out of it so you know for me i like to feel the ups and the downs because i think there's value there and maybe I lean that way because I tend to be more of an even keel person. Well, <laughs> I'd like to think that. Don't ask my wife that. She will not agree with me. But do you think that's why like if you putting your focus that way, you know, you're naturally going to feel the highs and the lows and like that's like the goal for you and it kind of neutralizes it.
2: That make sense? It does. It's tough to say if like I'm, I really try and focus on that like steady baseline I just know for me, you're right. Feeling the lows and feeling the highs is good a, a good thing, right? Having those lows, we need those to then motivate the highs. The difference in what I've experienced is those lows go super, super, super extreme. And they stay there for long periods of time. And it seems like I can't get out of them. And it can be the smallest trigger that sets me into those. Like I remember when I was young... I. I was probably eight years old and this sounds totally crazy, but this is when I realized that like I felt things differently or at least I thought I felt things differently was my family went to a trip to SeaWorld when I was eight years old. And when we came home from that trip, it was like, it sounds crazy for me to say this, but it felt like a piece of me was broken off and lost because I was so depressed and upset that like the excitement of that SeaWorld trip was gone. And I remember for weeks, like crying every night and it was not, it was not normal. And so that's why I say like the lows are really, really low for me. And it could be something as silly as like a trip to SeaWorld when you're eight years old. But it was truly devastating to me. Coming home from that trip. Like, I can't, I still to this day can't explain that and necessarily why. But that was kind of the first, the first time I knew, like, my emotions are really intense. And I even knew at the age of eight years old, like, this just seems different from what I see other kids my age experiencing.
1: So I have a question about as far as like highs and then coming off those big highs and going straight into big lows. Do you feel like you went into that a little bit? Like if you've ever like hit a really big goal and then coming off that, you were just really sad that experience was over. Did you Have you experienced that again and again as an adult?
2: Yeah, for sure. I've gotten really, I've gotten a lot better with dealing with coming off the high because in the past, like certain events would come and go, Uh, not just bike events, like when I was really young, going to visit my grandparents and coming home from trips like that, like I just felt broken. So there's like, there should be no reason to be upset or feeling really low after a fun time. Right. But I, I remember like almost dreading good times because I didn't want the low to follow. Wow.
0: That blows my mind. I have never really thought of it that way, but just hearing you say that Okay, I have an example. My pastor deals with crazy anxiety and wrote a book on it. And he's really honest and open about it, which is really cool. I started reading his book, and he's very clear about the fact that he knows these are irrational fears that he has. And he talks about some of the irrational fears he's had. In the beginning of his book and it was so crazy to me that someone could honestly worry about this that it was hard for me to get through the first chapter because I really was like I can't believe you would worry about a car driving through this building and you can't enjoy your time at the coffee shop because you think you're gonna die or something like that and I it's crazy how obsessive he would get and the thought would come in his mind and it just completely his whole world is gone and that's all he can think about. And then it affects them for days at a time. So to think that you could be a little kid coming back from, you know, SeaWorld, Disneyland, an awesome bike ride trip or something, and to be so bummed that it's over, it, it does blow my mind. And I think it's very intuitive that you you went back to that point in your life and knew, okay, this is a little bit different. Because I think it takes most people to become like older in their life and maybe accomplish that one goal that they always had. Like there's this mentor I have and It's just this guy I follow online, but I watch all his content. He talks about how when he achieved every one of his business goals that he had growing up, that same night that his final thing was accomplished, like he got the car he always wanted, and literally he relapsed on his sobriety that night because he felt so depressed because the thing he expected to feel, he didn't feel once he had everything he wanted, you know? So I almost feel like it takes that for adults, and I'm sure it's been retrospective for you to go back and really know, okay, this was the first time I could tell this was an issue for me. But to even kind of understand that as an eight year old, I think that's, that's when you know, you're really for one in tune with your body, which is a good thing. But also, the fact that you acknowledge that you feel differently than other kids who are just like, you know, Legos, basketball, bike ride, bike jump. You know, <laughs> fruit by yeah. the foot. You know, like that was. <laughs> I woke up stoked every morning because I ate Reese's Puffs, and I had that to look forward to. So the fact that he wouldn't feel that way is, uh, it, yeah, that's it, really eye opening for me, to be honest.
1: Talking to friends and family about mental health is not a new thing for me. It's a, a d- normal discussion, as I think it should be. But one thing I guess I have question about is. Okay. So you talk about when you were eight, were there other like series of events and moments of like, well, that's not right. Well, that's different. These people don't seem to be feeling that like, was there a lead up to when you were like, okay, maybe I should like talk to somebody. Maybe I should talk to my doctor or something. Because I think a lot of men specifically really don't know like when enough is enough. And so I think it would help others to hear when uh, you decided to take it a little further and figure out what was going on. So you could cope and learn the tools that you needed to get through it.
2: Yeah, from that young age, I think I was too young at eight years old up until like my teens to really understand what was going on. Like I said, I just knew that I felt differently, and emotions were. I was almost afraid of my emotions. Like I was afraid to be too happy, or afraid to put myself in a position where I vulnerable to feel a low. So up until my teens, like I just I knew something was off. But when I got into like middle school, high school, I, I really knew. Like something, something is there, and there, there can be answers. There, like I, I can find answers. It was difficult because when I first started seeking out help, uh, in all honesty, my experiences were horrible. I went to therapists that forgot my name during therapy, and that to me was like one of the most traumatic things because I would be in therapy as a young high schooler and like the young high schooler one it feels awkward to be in therapy right talking about depression and anxiety and two like if you're spilling out stuff that is super super personal and really really dark and then all of a sudden they forget your name like i was in all honesty really 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 angry and from that point on like i didn't trust doctors so all of my depression and anxiety led to some pretty severe GI issues, like so much so that I had some surgeries that I would spend a week in the hospital at a time. And I became so distrustful of even my stomach doctors kind of after that experience in therapy that I would get in like full on arguments and almost screaming arguments with doctors in the office because I didn't trust anybody. So I think that my experience early on was really negative. And so it took me a long time to kind of buy back in to, to seeking out help. That's just my story. I'm sure other people's stories are different. Where they had someone that they could talk to right away. Once I met my girlfriend at the time, now wife in high school, Mary. She was. She played. She has played and continues to play a huge role in this of like encouraging me to kind of tackle it on my own rather than relying on other people to provide me happiness or provide me like that sense of security. So I would say only within the past year have I really kind of like taken a stand and seek out help on my own. I haven't been afraid to say no either. Like if medicine is prescribed to me and I'm not comfortable with it, I will speak up and say no. Whereas in the past, I would just take the medication that I was prescribed when I was in my teens and be like a total zombie and it was this horrible horrible state I was in because I would take these this medication that doctors would prescribe me which would create more anxiety, so I'd stop all of my medication cold turkey and just go for this crazy mental ride like i can't even explain how scary it was at times so i think that all the way up until like a year ago i was in a really unhealthy space with it up uh, just until recently like i felt comfortable talking about it and comfortable like actually seeking out professional help and i wish i would have done that way 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 earlier on my own but yeah that's a long answer to your question amber <laughs> but that's just my my personal story
1: yeah, thank you for that. I I think you say people may feel different. I think a lot of people actually feel very similar have very similar stories where, you know, they were given mistrust with therapists that their parents sent them to didn't go well. Now it's just I'll deal with it on my own. It's fine. Very, very, very. And then go through the motions of figuring it out later when it's so much past when it could have been resolved right at the front. So I really appreciate you going in depth on
2: that. It felt like I was in this kind of negative space for a long time and there would always be things that would come up that were like life altering that would just it would make me step up another level in my head. So like in at the end of 2009, like that year my parents got divorced, my mom got was diagnosed with cancer for the second time and our house burned down on Christmas night and it was just like that so many things that right there i was already in a negative space and so it just sent me down even harder and i was i was in a darker place from then on so it was like i and my issue was i was never addressing those things like i never really addressed those things in at the end of 2009 like i just swept them under the rug and just hoped that they disappear that never works it never works
1: do you feel like you've used bikes to like defer you from some of those bad feelings
2: Yeah, I did it. I was relying on the bike early on, like as a mental escape, because I felt like when I'm on the bike, then I can just think about this. And it wasn't, in some ways it was healthy, but in the big picture, I don't think it was because like I, I I was never, I never really faced those issues head on.
0: Almost brings us back to what we talked about in the beginning of the episode, which is bikes can help but they could also hurt. and it's. I I think there is a commonality of people who spend maybe too much time on the bike when they have these responsibilities at home and they're doing it intentionally to maybe avoid what's going on at home and like other people can see it. Maybe they don't see it, Uh, but it's like their natural draw is to spend more time out on the bike because that's their zone where they don't have to deal with all that other stuff. So in a sense, I think it could be a healthy escape, but also it gets to that point where it isn't healthy anymore, and so it's it's interesting you've used it that way. And I, I got to say, dude, hearing back at these steps that you're talking about, where you swept these little things under the rug, and do you feel like if you would have addressed them one at a time, that it wouldn't have built up to be something as big as it was? Like, do you think they would have been possible for you to actually, at eight years old, resolve the Sea World issue and then resolve the fun bike ride issue, and then to you know talk about the fact your therapist forgot your name. Do you think it would have been possible for those things to have been handled along the way?
2: I don't think it would have hurt, that's for sure. I don't think it would have, quote unquote, cured things because just up until the past like four years, have I really had some like truly terrifying experiences with anxiety and depression. And I think that that has been a result of everything being swept under the rug. So maybe addressing a couple things, like I think I would have had to have addressed every issue to be healthy from the get-go, you know? But I think that a lot of it was just, I was... it started at such a young age. I didn't even, all I knew was I just felt different. I didn't really know. And when you're eight years old, you don't know what the word depression and anxiety is. Like I had no idea. I just felt like either sad, happy, or scared. Like those are the only things I could feel. And I knew when I was in those state of mind, but it was, yeah, it's, it's hard to say if it would, I'd be in a totally different place, but it definitely wouldn't hurt.
0: Do you think it would help an eight-year-old to actually know that? Because I'm really not sure, you know, like I'm curious from your perspective, and this is where I mentioned I play devil's advocate a little bit, because what's weird is that you want awareness to this, right? You want people to know that this is what's going on. But also, do you bring it up to a point where someone who's really not dealing with that mistakes their feelings for depression or something, or maybe if someone feels anxious about something at a time that they all of a sudden now feel like I have anxiety. Like I'll tell you from personal experience, I've had a couple legit anxiety attacks where I'm short of breath, like freaking out, properly freaking out. But they've always come down to this one thing specifically, or I can kind of unpack it to that point, resolve the issue, anxiety goes away. So I'm like, wow, I felt very anxious to the point where it was kind of freaky. And I was able to resolve it and move on. I don't feel like I have anxiety, but I experience anxiety from time to time. There's a line there where I think it's interesting. I think I have this idea that People feel anxious, really anxious at one point, and then all of a sudden, try and get on medication, and they just think that this is their permanent state of being. And then I also think there's this layer from doctors to where it's like the pharmaceutical hustle. Okay, we bring more awareness to this, we get more prescriptions out. It's like money in our pocket kind of thing. I guess there's my dialled health conspiracy for you about ph- you know pharmacy companies, <laughs> but it's just I think it's it's unarguable that those all those weird things are at play. So. I know it's a very long question, but it's like, do you think it's overdiagnosed? Do you think eight-year-olds should be talking about depression openly? Like, how do we, how do we like guide our kids through this process? You know,
2: man, that's tough. I can only speak to where I was. And I think if I would have been open to talking about how I felt from a super, super young age and not hiding these things, then I would be in a better place and I think just talking about it, I still wouldn't have understood like the meaning or definition of depression or anxiety. I just would have felt more comfortable, opening, open to talking about it with my parents or my sister or super close friends. right? And I noticed that I hid that stuff from when I was really, really young. And that has happened up until today. Like I'm really, really horrible about speaking about my emotions. And I will do that up until a point until I break. And i Do that, and my wife and I call them episodes where I will like, I'll hold in all this anxiety, I'll hold in all this depression, and all of a sudden I just collapse. And I've had some pretty severe episodes over the past four or five years, and they usually last anywhere from two weeks to a month. And I am fully out of commission. Like, I can't drive a car. The suicidal thoughts are something that have really creeped in. Like, working even on a phone, like texting is really confusing, it throws my mind for a loop. That started at a young age, and I think that I fall into those episodes when I keep everything in, right? So if, I, if things were different for me at a young age where I just felt like I could talk about it and people would listen, it's not to say that like, my parents wouldn't have listened. They absolutely would have. I just didn't bring it up.
0: It makes a lot of sense that you would probably, the awareness gives the kids confidence to actually bring it up even though there's the, maybe the risk there, they read more into it or diagnose themselves with something at a young age that maybe wasn't the case or something like that's my fear. But at the same time, you're like, wow, you take a kid who, you know, you can't blame a kid for not having insane self-confidence. Like even it's tough to do as a full grown adult, but to give them the confidence to speak up and to know that people will sympathize with you or empathize or whatever, that would probably be a major, major bonus. I I like the the way you put it.
1: And can I just say, I think that eight-year-old you and future you would be so super stoked and proud that you're like being so vocal about it and working through it. Like all of us that have mental health issues, we feel ourselves revert into our old ways. But every time you get over it, you're making your child self like so proud to like work through, especially if you're dealing it from with like from a young age like I have and you have. It's like very hard to work through it. But then there, there are moments like for me where I like got my first century into these things that made me so proud because you have to deal with so much mentally to even get there. Like a lot of people have no idea how many like demons you battle every day to just get on the trainer for 30 minutes. And so I really love that you're talking more and more about that, especially being very accomplished in Unbound XL, man, like that is not an easy task for anybody, let alone dealing with all of that stuff. So just bravo for working through that, because I think it's the example that a lot of us are, you give a lot of us hope, I think to push through this stuff, figure it out.
2: Well, I appreciate that. And I, the one thing that I've learned about speaking about this is, for example, for you, Amber, like you just telling me that is super helpful to me. Because for the longest time, I didn't speak up about this stuff. And I would always go into the doctor. And even even recently, like back in March, I went through an episode. And I was in tears with a doctor on the phone convinced that I was a black sheep. And that I was stuck in that mental funk during my quote-unquote episodes. And I convinced myself I was stuck like that. And like in tears, terrified. But then when I come out of those episodes, and Amber, you share your story about, yeah, when you did your first entry or 100-mile ride or get on the trainer for 30 minutes, it seems like you work a little extra harder just to convince yourself to get on there because you're always worried, like, what if my mental side takes a turn? And then it's so easy to feel like you're alone. So it's, it's almost like this cycle, and it's trying to remember that you can get through it. It's going to be really, really scary and, and at times horrible. And then you get to like the bright side, and it's, it's, this, it's really weird. It's hard to explain, but yeah, it's tough.
1: Yeah, it's hard to not give too much like glory to the bright side, too. You're saying the highs and the lows, you know? So that's where that's all connected to. So,
0: yeah. And that's where I was actually going to go with this next was thinking about the highs because Unbound XL was where I first heard of you, Taylor. And then I listened to your podcast with Trainer Road, uh, which was amazing. And, I linked in the description, by the way, people. It's a YouTube video. I think it's number 46, but really great. And, you know, you get to hear about how you did that because can we just talk about this for a second? I know we're going to go off track a little bit, but this is like too fun to talk about. So the, the goal, the point is I need to know how the response was from all this, you know, quote unquote victory because you you won the Unbound Excel. But there's a couple of details about this race that were super rad. And they got me fired up because I'm kind of going down this endurance journey myself. And so it's 350 miles. It's a self-supported mission. So you can stop at gas stations and all that, but you basically have to, you, there's no actual aid stations for you specifically. And you did this ride. Was it, can you give me your time? Was it like 33 hours,
2: 35, 36? Just under 23 hours.
0: Even that, even 36 hours would be unreal, but you just rode straight through, no sleep, and that's, and that's how you won this thing. So you ride your bike for just under 23 hours in a race, self-supported. One thing we talk about a lot on nutrition, it is on nutrition on the Dial Health podcast, and you gotta give people an idea of, I mean, this was the thing that stuck out to me the most. Some of your gas station stop, nutrition, full-on, turning yourself into a garbage disposal to get through this ride. Okay, so you stop, you have five minutes, and you need to fuel up as much as you can at a random gas station, and they, they've got it all. Can you give us like a realistic rundown of what you would really eat? And this is true, people. Well, I can imagine it's true, unless Taylor's a total liar right now. But this is, I'll compare it to what he said on the Trainer Road podcast. It's nuts.
2: Yeah, so those long events, like it doesn't matter how fast or slow you're going. 90% of it is eating. It's like driving across the country. You have to stop and get fuel in your your vehicle. Same thing with Unbound, whether you're doing the 50, 100, 200, or XL. like You have to fuel properly from start to finish to expect to feel relatively good. But yeah, I'd come off of a, a mental episode in the spring. And then right after I came off of that episode, I had a pretty major crash, spent night in the hospital, some surgery the next day. And so I was like, man, I got nothing to lose for Unbound XL. Like, I'm just going to work. I had like two months at that point to try and get ready. And one of the things I knew based on my experience in 24-hour racing was like training the gut, right? Because if you try to shove in so many calories an hour, especially gas station food, like there's a good chance that your gut is going to turn and either it's going to come up or, or go out the other end. So yeah, I spent a ton of time training training the gut. And I, I normally do that. And uh, for Unbound XL, you're right. Like you are your support crew. So you are responsible for for refilling at every gas station. And you kind of got to be strategic on like, how much to take at each gas station when you leave, because obviously you don't want to run out of food before the next gas station. So my plan was I actually started with, I think I started with 8,000 calories on the bike. And that was a good mix of liquid nutrition and solid food. But yeah, at the gas stations, like I made sure I left the gas station feeling satiated like there's nothing worse than missing an art if you're going to pull into that gas station and refill on water and then you're i use infinite mix and spend the time to do that you better make sure that you top off so i would go in and i it sounds horrible but like A lot of my calories came from soda. Soda, strawberry milk was like, I love strawberry milk on long rides, even in the heat. Like it's like a milkshake to me. Heath bars were huge. I think I had something like five or six Heath bars out there.
0: Those are just chocolate and like toffee, right?
2: Yep. So like as much sugar as I could get. And it's, I remember one gas station, it was right. It was actually the last town that I stopped at. So I think I had three or four hours left. And at that point in the race, like you're kind of walking this fine line of like, legs are definitely feeling it you definitely don't want to bonk that close to the finish. So you're at roughly 300 miles. So I pulled into the gas station was like, I am going to make sure I top off here like so I can get to the finish. I still had plenty of food on the bike. And so I I knew I was going to snack on the bike. But I think I I pulled in, I had, can't remember now, I think I had like two or three sodas, a strawberry milk, a Red Bull or two, some other solid food. I think I had like some type of candy, and I don't know, but I remember leaving that gas station, it felt like I had like a pumpkin in my stomach. I was so bloated. But I knew like, okay, my gut is used to this. And I'm going to use everything that's in there by the time I get the finish. And sure enough, I did like, yeah, that first hour is kind of uncomfortable. But thankfully, like I had worked on tossing all that junk in my stomach. And yeah, I was able to get to the the finish on on that stuff. So it sounds horrible that like you get you drink, I drank so much soda out there. And it's almost like you get this, it kind of feels like mouth rot, because you have so much sugar. And there's definitely a time where like, you don't want to have anything else sugary. I remember right when the sun was coming up, I was digging into one of my Heath bars. And I was like, I would, it was almost making me like gag because I had so many Heath bars and so much soda, but you almost just have to force feed yourself. And you'll be thankful that you've done that because within 15 minutes, it's like this instant hit, especially when you're so depleted out there for riding Anywhere, like I said, up to 350 miles, like you can feel that sugar hit your system.
0: Do you not switch it up and have an intentional salt for the palate fatigue? Do you not hit a bag of chips or anything like that?
2: Sometimes I do. Like we just moved from Phoenix. So obviously in the summer in Phoenix, yeah. If I'm riding and it's super, super hot, I'll go for chips for sure. I do change it up or like I will add in some fat on those during those long races. So like I will just have packets of nut butter. So almost no carbohydrate but fat and what that does for me is it kind of curbs the hunger feeling and also like that that much carbohydrate nonstop can be a big big gut bomb and you're burning a ton of fat while you're out there too you're not just burning glycogen like you're you're switching off you're switching on and off on what systems you're using
0: would you say that Oreos are the perfect carbohydrate to fat balance for something like that? Because I've actually been bummed at how much fat is in Oreos because I want to eat them more on rides. I just can't justify if the ride isn't huge and I'll do it if the ride is, is huge, but there's like almost too much fat. It's like a donut mid ride. Yeah, it is good. I know you are using fat, but there are things that sit better in your system. Is it really necessary if you're out for three hours, you know? So, um, uh, yeah. Because I, I heard somewhere you're Oreo guy as well, and I just had to throw it out there because those are my potentially biggest enemy in the world of nutrition.
2: Dude, so I am gluten free, and when we got there, we went to the Walmart in Emporia and found legitimate gluten free Oreos, like the Oreo brand. And I was like, "Well, man, I'm gonna this is gonna be tough. So like, I'm gonna finish a box the two days before the race because this is the first time I've ever found true gluten free Oreos. So I think I ate like three quarters of the box in the two days leading up to the race. And then I brought the rest with me. And those were the absolute first thing to go on the bike. Like we packed those on the top of my frame bag, as many as we could fit in Ziploc bags. And yeah, I, I was done with those in like the first two or three hours.
1: A lot of us around here, when we're trying to train for the big races and try to train our gut, we'll go do tour to Casey's, which is where you go to all Casey's and just eat pizza the whole time. <laughs> you just go get pizza at every stop.
2: That's one thing I worked on a lot in the my training rides leading up to Unbound XL was like, when I would go into a gas station in Phoenix on a training ride, I would go in with purpose. So I would go in like I was rushing and my I would like look for exactly what I need and what I crave. So that way I was just more familiar when I went to the Casey stores that we saw a ton of in Kansas like I didn't have to say like oh what am I going to get here what am I going to get there it was more like no I'm going to get a pack of um shelled pistachios two Heath bars three sodas and like it was just I knew what I needed and I I didn't have to waste time in there and so I think that I think that that's really important too is like if you're going into gas stations make a plan before you get there rather than right when you get there
1: I know I'm dreaming about what I'm going to be eating
0: yeah, that's a really good tip. I actually, I recently did a Everest on my trail bike and I had salted mixed nuts.
2: I can't imagine doing that because you did it on a trail bike, right?
0: Yeah, I did it on a stump jumper, full baggies down at Black Diamond Descent. I'll send you the video because you might appreciate it. But I remember mixed nuts were one of the... I think the best things that I brought, because besides all the obvious variety of carbohydrates and different densities and all that, the mixed nuts felt so, like they felt like they settled my stomach a lot. They gave me the fat, they gave me the salt, they helped with the palate, different textures, crunchy. Those were one thing, even more so than the potato chips I brought, were really good. Although I did realize that if you take dates and you eat them at the same time as you're eating a sea salt kettle chip, it actually tastes just like a Krispy Kreme glazed donut. And I want everyone, maybe not to try it, I just want you to know it's out there, okay? If you have dates, and sea salt kettle chips in your mouth at the same time you will taste you will smell and it'll feel like you're eating crispy cream donut so anyways those were a, like a great tip and i just think of the thing recently and i promise we'll we'll get back on the real point of this podcast after this but when i watched the alt tour with lachlan morton recently they posted the video for it there's a scene where he's sitting outside this kind of convenience store and he's holding coca-cola a chocolate milk and a beer. And he's literally, all the caps are off him and he's just hitting all of them at the same time. And I forgot what he says, but he's like, I think he says the chocolate milk was for for the long game, the Coke was to bring him up and the beer was to bring him back down or something like that. It was like, and I just thought, I was like, the fact his stomach can handle that, it just goes to show like what he's out doing. And also for people to realize too, when you're like, oh, it's so gross, I'm drinking all this soda. Like it is, but also- You know, nothing about what you're doing is for your quote unquote, just physical health. You know, riding 350 miles is not healthy and you need to fuel the performance. And that's when you go beyond, you know, your baseline of what healthy eating is, because I'm sure chugging that much soda isn't a day to day thing when you're not riding like that. Just like, you know, it isn't for me or it isn't for Amber, you know, we enjoy those things on the bike and it's kind of a fun bonus. Uh, it's a weird bonus, but it is a bonus, can be. Anyways, thanks for bringing us in on that. You you know, you use those strategies and you even trained to the extent of training your gut and your gas station stops, which is all what helps you win the Unbound XL. And so after that happened, you have more media, more press than probably ever in regards to things you, that you've done. And that, like I said, that's how I heard about you initially. And was that a high that you were almost afraid to experience because you knew of the ramifications Uh, mentally like that could follow it like did you take that experience in
2: was it how was that whole thing for you were you present that's a good question and i worked on that a lot before unbound because i had just come out of an episode that lasted about a month in the spring i was pretty vulnerable and then i had a, a pretty major concussion right after that episode and surgery on my shoulder So like I was, I had gone for, I'd gone for a ride there in the spring. In all honesty, my sole goal at Unbound XL was simply to finish. Like I had no care in the world when I started that race to win. Like I just wanted from everything that I had been through in the couple months leading into Unbound, I just wanted to have as clean of a race as I possibly could and hit my own personal marks. And if I would have done that and finished in 40 or 50 hours, I would have been stoked. Like if I stayed happy and healthy and fueled from start to finish, and that brought me in a minute before the cutoff, I would have been super, super happy. So that approach was a bit different for me. And so I don't think I really, with that approach, I don't think I really had a high or a, or a low following what some people may think is a high. Because it was just like, I did what I went there to do, and that was to finish happy and healthy. And sure, it was a bonus to win, but like before I started, I didn't really care about if I won, lost, or whatever. I just wanted to finish. I kind of been through hell and back in the spring, and so much so that like back in March, before Unbound, I had some pretty, pretty terrifying, like suicidal thoughts and so much so that I brought it to my wife's attention and lucky enough for me she approached it in a super super calm, cool and collected way and it was like okay, we're going to stop this now. Like we're going to get a hold of this now before it gets too heavy. And so I spent some time at doctors, actually went through some some kind of heavy ketamine therapy to deal with my depression under like heavy doctor supervision. So my sole focus was like, go into it mentally stable, mentally secure. And if you can do that, that's a win. Like that's a personal win.
1: Okay. So my question is, I feel like the thought of you telling me all this, because you were able to manage your maybe your ego or be humble about what your expectations were with yourself, you were able to keep a more even keel on the back end of it. And I think that's something that everyone tells us to like build ourselves up and be really proud of everything we did. And we can be really proud of ourselves, but not get so hyped that on the back end, life seems lackluster, right? And so it's interesting to think about having to rein those thoughts in for the better good of mental health for a month later. But that's That's difficult to do, but it's that's how you have to manage keeping an even keel of, you know, your thoughts day to day. And so I think that's such a big win for you to say that you did that, because I think a lot of people are struggling with the highs and the lows being so high and so low. But It makes sense to like rein it in, be humble.
2: Yeah, you're 100% right. And I will be honest, like this is kind of the, that was kind of the first time ever doing that for me. And just because I did it once doesn't mean I can do it every time. It takes a lot of work to do that. Everybody that participates in bike events, whether they're doing it to try and just ride two miles further than they ever have, or if they're trying to win one of the biggest races in the country, my opinion is everybody has an ego. They'd be lying if they said that they didn't. Right. So it's just how do you manage that? And it wasn't easy for me to go there and just say, like, I don't care how I place. 100 percent honest. Like I didn't I didn't care. And I learned the year prior at twenty-four hours in the old Pueblo, I put way too much pressure on myself at that race. Like I was trying to beat the course record. Everybody has that ego. And I think if we let it get the best of us, like there becomes this overwhelming pressure. Right. And if you think about it, if you break it down into its simplest form, like we're just pedaling a bike, (laughs) like it's, it doesn't need to be this this pressure. And I learned the hard way the year before at uh, 24 hours in the old Pueblo. I went out there with the goal to try and beat the course record that I set in 2018. And I put way too much pressure on myself. Like I'm someone who is, I, I get, when I get my mind on something, I tend to overly obsess about it. And I was that way months leading into that 24-hour race. So much so that in the last couple laps, I was having full-blown anxiety attacks on the course. I was convinced that Josh Dostado, who was in second place, was hiding in bushes and jumping out of the bushes to like draft off my rear wheel. And I would forget how I got to certain places on the course. And I learned after that, that was... 100% me. That was in my head. I made that situation worse. Nobody made that situation the way it was. It was 100% me. And it was because of the places I chose to go in my own head in the months leading up to that. And it wasn't a fun experience. And ultimately, we, r- we ride bikes to have fun. That was not fun at all. That was not enjoyable. I don't want to experience that again. So yeah, it's it's tough to manage those things. But I think if we address the issue first, like that's the first step in fixing it
1: when you just said the places we choose to go in our head, it like hit me hard. Because, man, the places I choose to go in my head, why do I do that? Why do we do that to ourselves? It's so hard to not do that because it feels like such an indulgence. Like you just keep going and you keep on going a little deeper in your head and a little deeper in your head. It's so easy to get down those mental rabbit holes, you know? And so it's like hard to be like, nope, nope, we're not going there. We're not going there over and over for days and months at a time of that. And it is, it's hard.
2: It's like your body, your, your brain loves to convince your body of things. Because if you don't get it from an outside source of like people convincing you or, or being able to talk about what's going on in your head, like your head will talk to itself. At least that's how mine is. Like it loves to talk to itself and it, it loves the negative.
1: <laughs> yeah, loves to invalidate myself for sure. And then I'm like needing everybody else to validate like, no, you can do that. You're fine. I just will invalidate and validate and validate in my head.
0: It's so crazy too how connected it all is in your performance as well. And you even brought up earlier how the stress led to, was it like ulcers in your stomach? It's so nuts how things can start mental and then come come through the physical that way. Like that's almost the response. It really is proof of how connected your mind is to your body. And one thing I've really kind of thought of is this quote that, it, it's helped me a ton. I'd say in recent years with races, uh, the few the races that I've done or few events where I do put pressure on myself, it's that relaxed athletes perform better. Period. <laughs> relaxed athletes perform better. And that's what I have to remind myself if I start getting worked up with these expectations. Oh, but I want it to go this way. What if this happens? What if that happens? It's like, you are going to have your best performance if you just stop all of that thinking. And for you, your best performance came out after a lot of work getting to that point where you didn't actually care about the winning as the outcome. You came about, you wanted to have the best ride possible, basically, when it came into Unbound XL. And so you had your best performance that way. And so I think for anyone listening, you know, even if it's, a small little thing that's nagging at you about some pressure you're putting on yourself. It doesn't have to be a big mental breakdown that you're trying to work through. But you, you just remind yourself relaxed athletes perform better. I think I heard that from Endure with Alex Hutchinson is it's a book he wrote, uh, which is really great. But I think that's his quote. But anyways, uh, relaxed athletes perform better. I think that kind of helps across the board.
1: You mentioned that a little bit and others is like, that's how you get through all these things is to have process oriented goals. And so I guess my question there is how do you set them and then how do they help with your depression and anxiety specifically?
2: Good question. I I think I said it once before or a little bit earlier was I am someone who gets like overly obsessed about things. So if I get my mind on something, I tend to kind of go, I spend too much time on that one thing. I've been like that since I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, it was motorcycles and I was like, I was all in. And so the same thing for me with a bike race is I know that there's processes and things I need to do to be ready for that and it's not just training. It's not just the physical side. It's the mental side which I'm taking more seriously than ever. It's the eating side both on and off the bike. Like like we talked about, yeah, the stuff you're eating on the bike probably isn't the healthiest thing. So how do you live a healthy lifestyle off of the bike? I love all of those things and trying to piece them together like for me that's the most enjoyable part about bike racing the race is just a byproduct of all that stuff like if i don't have something to chase towards this is probably not the best thing to say but like part of me feels lost like if i don't have that that personal goal that i'm reaching for i just love that that chase like that chase every day
0: there's got to be a chase i would not feel bad about that it whether it's bikes or your career profession or being the best wife mother husband yada 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 you everyone needs that purpose and that's totally okay in fact i feel like when you find it it's something that to really embrace and to acknowledge be like this is what i'm doing this for and you know for you it helps you refine your process and focus on that knowing that the results will have an opportunity to show on this day. But regardless, I'm going to make sure that the whole process, that that's where all of my energy is going to go towards. And then we're going to let whatever happens happen.
2: I always tell my wife this, I love seeing people with odd hobbies or odd interests. And I don't care if it's like they're, they love collecting baseball cards. If it's their thing, I love seeing that because they have something that they're chasing and that is keeping them interested and keeping them occupied. You know, like it doesn't have to be riding a bike. Like you said, it can be your job, your family, your wife, your kids, anything, whatever it is that you have, like you can be, you can collect, I don't don't know, anything it is. I just think it's important that people have that one thing that they enjoy doing and, and go after.
0: It's funny you bring up the random hobbies because this is a total side note, but my son is currently obsessed with semi-trucks. Obsessed with semi-trucks. And all he wants to watch on YouTube is this video of like a remote control convention car semi-truck show thing. And there's all these dudes standing around this made up obstacle course and they have their semi trucks that they're driving through tunnels and stuff. And they're like taking turns at intersections. And then there's the tractor setup. It's like a fake construction site. And I'm watching it and I'm like, those are real people really doing that. But you know what? I share a similar appreciation as you do, Taylor. I love seeing people doing what they do. Great. I love them being fully into it and doing it for them and i think that's kind of like a it is kind of a winning mindset you just appreciate you know what goes into them fully enjoying their hobby and executing it whatever it may be even if it's these rc car guys and maybe they're the real geniuses because this video has like 15 million views and i'm sure they're making some money off it anyways so (laughs) they are winning (laughs) i'm the one getting played and so my question too is uh Going back to like self-confidence, and we talked about how we can't blame kids for not having the self-confidence to bring up these issues or anything. Do you think, and this is kind of like a male egotistical sort of thing, I'm where my mind's at, it's like, do you think that being this high-level ultra endurance athlete and having the accomplishments and kind of the proof that you are quote unquote tough has given you more confidence to talk about these things with less shame, maybe? Like, and I know that's a weird question, because I don't want to make any assumptions. But at the same time, anyone would agree that you have to be freaking tough to do what you do. And so I know that there are people who say like, oh, you know, be tougher in regards to a response to like struggling with mental health. I know that's just the stigma that's out there. It's like a thing. Is there any part of you that has gained confidence from these accomplishments and, and allowing you to be like, to know that you are physically and mentally tough, but that you still deal with this and you, you're bringing it up?
2: Does that Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I'm someone who's always dealt with a, I've always struggled with confidence in myself. Every race I go to and a lot of things I do in my daily life, I struggle with self confidence. I wouldn't necessarily say that I've become more confident in talking about this. I can say I've become more comfortable for me being comfortable feels better. I wouldn't necessarily call it confidence, but I would say I'm more comfortable.
1: I really liked that Taylor was talking about, like, how he was intrigued about people that have, like, odd hobbies, right? My odd hobby is crocheting. I crochet like an old lady in the wintertime. And I love it so much because it gives me a way to be productive while I still relax. I'll, like, watch. I don't like to watch TV that much, but when I do, it's nice to be productive while I'm, like, making someone a hat, you know? And so I was just going to ask Taylor if he had any like little odd hobbies that he feels like maybe help him not be burned out with cycling because like cycling is a hobby, but we can get burned out by it. So sometimes having these little side hobbies helps us to not be burned out by cycling. Is there anything that you do or like?
2: I mean, I spend a lot of time with my wife and our two dogs. We love anything and everything to do with our dogs. I'm also a pretty big sports fan, hockey and football. I love watching hockey and football. It's my first year playing fantasy football so for me that's been a ton of fun also because we recently moved from phoenix arizona to northwest arkansas it's been a way that i can kind of stay in touch with my really clo- i've had the same kind of group of friends since elementary school and middle school so it keeps us in touch pretty closely playing fantasy football yeah pretty much anything I'm a big fan of music and movies and yeah anything that can keep my interest there
1: That is so important to have, I think, to have those little side things where we're not just like obsessing over our bikes constantly because, I mean, it deserves its space, but we got to be doing other things sometimes, you know?
2: Yeah, I used to work in the bike industry and I quit that because of that very reason. Like, I was around bikes too much. I would work on people's bikes or around bikes all day. And then I would ride before after work. And I was like, this is, it's too much. Like I'm just around bikes 24 seven. And I don't want that.
0: Taylor, are you riding full time?
2: So I do that. And I also work for a local metabolic company based out of Phoenix, fortunate enough to work remotely. So it allowed us to move to Northwest Arkansas. So I do that work throughout the day on the computer as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so if it's for the metabolic company, is there some insight that you have pulled from that and some experience that has helped your writing actually? Because I know, I love when disconnected things support each other, you know?
2: For sure. Like, it's taught me a lot on, like, about metabolic flexibility. And it would be different if I were racing, like, XC events where you're basically just burning carbohydrate, like, right? It's just full gas from the gun. For what I do and what I love to do, the really long stuff, like, being metabolically flexible is really important. And I'm super, super interested in that stuff and kind of how you can, it's crazy what you can do to dictate metabolic flexibility just with what you eat. It doesn't even have to include exercise. Like just what you eat on a daily basis can have influence on that. And to me, that's really interesting. And I think important for not only like general health, but also to include on the bike for these long races.
0: I'm telling you right now, that's a can of worms that we have to crack into. And so if possible, Taylor, could we have you back to talk about that? And we could talk about differences of styles of racing. Cause as soon as you said XC, I'm going to try out some XC races next year. It was really intriguing to me. So I would love to unpack that with you a little bit. And then Amber, maybe we could talk about crochet a little bit more or something. So we'll save it for the next time. Yeah, sweet. I'm all, I'm all on board. Awesome. So before we roll, uh, Taylor, is there anything that you'd like to plug specifically that people can either find you or go support?
2: Yeah, for sure. I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, the handle is T Ladine, and on there, it's mostly bike stuff. <laughs> it's also recently been a lot of stuff about mental health. We, my wife and I, recently kind of teamed up with a thing called Go for Grand, based out of Colorado. It's a nonprofit based around kind of shedding the stigma around mental health through activities. In most cases, cycling, but that can be anything outdoors. For me, it was important to kind of get in with someone like that and provide any, give back in any way that I could. So we recently made some t-shirts. Um, my wife and I like to call it Team Ladine because it's my wife and I usually at most events. And every shirt that we sell, we give a part of that sale to go for grand. So yeah, that's really important to us. And also like if anybody is struggling and doesn't, it feels like they don't have anybody to talk to, I've had a lot of people reach out to me that are complete strangers, and I know it's really difficult to do, but like, I'm here to talk to you about stuff. I'm an open book about my story, so don't feel strange or uncomfortable about sharing things with me, it's better to talk about it. And so if you want to talk, you can reach me on Instagram. It may take me a couple hours or even a day to get back to you, but I do my very best to respond to everybody, especially regarding the mental health space of things.
0: That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And I got to tell you, with the mission of shedding the stigma on a lot of mental health stuff, you've absolutely done that today on the podcast. So I want to thank you for it. I'm someone personally who's very open to this conversation. I don't think it's weird, but I also feel like I learned a lot today and it's really been cool for me. So thank you. And shoot, we just look forward to round two, I guess. Amber, anything you want to say before we roll?
1: Just thanks. I think that's so genuine and kind of you to offer your inbox or your DMs to people because some people have no one. and We have to be grateful that we have this like crazy thing called the internet that connects us with people. And I think that's so wonderful.
2: I've been there where I felt like alone in all of this stuff, and it's not a fun place to be. And it's really heartbreaking to me to know that there are a ton of people that truly don't have anybody to talk to. So yeah, we need to make it, we need to normalize that a lot more.
1: Okay. Next up, we have member questions. So our first question comes from Dialed Fam member Philip Ball, who is at PG Ball on Instagram. He asks, "What are your thoughts on Whoop or using HRV monitors and their applicability to strength and rides?"
0: I'm so happy Philip asked this question because it's kind of strange to me that I don't wear a Whoop right now because it seems like the most obvious thing that I would be into with tracking. Now I'll tell you, this goes back to the previous episode where we talked about how sleep is a sore subject for me. I have intentionally avoided wearing anything like this with the exception of my Garmin fit tracking, which I can bring up, but in a second, but like Whoop specifically, I have not wanted to wear a whoop strap because my sleep has been so terrible in the last five years, even worse in the last three, since I started having all these babies. And I knew that because my time is so limited with rides i go ride when i feel terrible just because it's my only opportunity to go ride. I start strength workouts when I feel terrible because I just have a strength workout plan that day. And I do listen to my body and I will lower the intensity, I'll lengthen a warm up. I'll do something to help my body ease into it a little bit more. And a lot of days I do surprise myself with what I'm actually able to get out effort-wise. Like, you know, I give myself that little shakeout period and then I kind of get into it and my body starts turning on and feeling better, which is really cool. It's also taught me that you can't listen to the way your body feels Feels all of the time. Like you have to allow yourself to see what you can do, no matter really how you feel when you start. But to have that reading of like a terrible night's sleep in my face when I already know I got a terrible night's sleep. And I don't want to say it's not my fault, but it's because of a circumstance that I cannot change. And you know, that to me just sounds like depressing. And that's why I've avoided personally wearing whoop straps and all those devices. Now I think that it's really valuable. And I would probably start looking at it more in the future. Like I work with Garmin and even though they're totally down with me wearing Whoopstrap strap or another brand, if I wanted to, the truth is like they have their own activity tracking that I could start looking into, but I haven't really done a lot of it yet. And I, but I think if you looked at it, and you had the intention of still reflecting on how you really felt and you interpreted those numbers together, there's a lot of value there. But I think if you just wake up and base everything off of your whoop, then I think you're still missing the mark a little bit. I think it's more of like a metric that, helps you have more data to interpret, not something that just tells you whether you should or you shouldn't do something, period. That's the only thing Like I don't recommend for most people unless you are the 1% of the 1%, one of the best racers in the world, and your coach says, follow your whoop tracker and that's your program, then you do it. But for most of us, guess what? If I wake up Saturday and I had a few drinks the night before and my kids woke me up in the middle of the night because you know my toddler puked on his sheets at 2am or whatever and my only opportunity to ride my my mountain bike that weekend is the the morning that that all happens. And I wake up with a 30% recovery score or something like that. I'm going mountain biking. Like I'm is not going to stop me. So, but then also I think there's times when people can reflect on it and be surprised with how good their score is based on how they, you know, like it works the opposite way. You know what I'm saying, Amber? Like sometimes people feel terrible, but their score is really good. So then they get some weird confidence from that as well. So in both ways, I think it could work There's one other reason I haven't worn one in particular, and it's because I'm a watch guy. Now, in my strength workouts, I don't wear a watch because I'm always throwing around kettlebells. But all other times of my life, pretty much, I'm rocking a watch. I guess I don't wear one when I ride, unless I'm on the mountain bike. But I just like wearing watches, and I don't want stuff all over my wrist the whole time. So that's kind of been the sacrifice uh, for me, is is having the whoop. So I've thought about trying the Aura Ring out, uh, just to get some more tracking. Apparently, it's just as if not even more accurate But of course, that's just kind of marketing I'm listening to. So I'm open to it. I think when I have a little bit more control over my sleep and I'm not going to have the constant wake ups from the kids, I'll be more intrigued by the idea of learning from it. So that's really my answer. I think they're super valuable. I think it's cool to go to use them with the intention of still comparing it to how you really feel and like looking at the big picture. But yeah, the way my lifestyle is, oh my gosh, dude, that's it's not going to stop me from from doing or not doing something. I'll tell you that much. I mean, Amber, do you use a whoop strap?
1: Yeah, I actually use a Garmin. I have a 645 and I experienced the same thing. So I had to stop wearing it when I sleep because I got like a weird, you know, those like weird watch rashes that sometimes people get. Oh, yeah. And then realized... It was like a sub thing. Like, I stopped wearing it because of that. But then I realized I was like not having such an attitude about what sleep my Garmin was telling me that I was getting because I was using it as like a crutch, like you were saying. Oh, well, I only got this much REM, so I'm going to take it easy today or whatever. So I kind of just stopped paying attention to that and just started prioritizing my sleep a little better. And that's been great. And then I do wear my watch for workouts, but like you, always swinging kettlebells. So I have to use, I have to like take it off and then just wear like a chest strap. But I do find the heart rate stuff really interesting because it it tells me if I've overdone it or not, because I can usually tell like I need to be better about toning it down or like even, you know, pushing a little harder based on like what my heart rate data gives me. And that's taught me how to get the most out of my workout, which has been good. Um, But then also then I rely on it to like tell me if I had a good workout or not, which has not been good practice. Mm -hmm. And so again... I lost my heart rate strap for the millionth freaking time. Like I've ordered a new heart strap so many times. I don't use the wrist heart rate. I use the strap always because the wrist one's really inaccurate for me. And so I lost it. And so I just worked out anyways. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to like let this Garmin tell me if I'm going to have a good heart workout or not. And so I've like worked out naked, if you will, yeah, a couple of times and just like gave it my all without caring what my thing said. And I thought that was like a really good practice to like occasionally do just not use it.
0: I like that. And it reminds me that I really that we really need to figure out a way to track strength workouts from a like TSS sort of standpoint. I've discussed it with Jonathan Lee a little bit about how do we do this through the strength workouts on the website and give people an idea of, okay how difficult is this workout going to be before they like (laughs) sign up for it? Maybe it's something we do with the guided workouts, but to help people kind of plan their weeks based off of intensity. So this is all stuff that we are try like it, it will happen eventually it's just order of importance really as cool as that like feature would be it's probably not as important as us uh syncing strava which we may or may not be working on stay tuned for the app updates and the announcements i guess but i'll say that tracking workouts I think will be really important. And whether we do that through heart rate or something, I'm not sure yet. But it's funny because even though all of my workouts are quote unquote naked, (laughs) all of my rides lately have been tracked with power. And I freaking love it. Like I have been so stoked to have my power data and my heart rate data on my rides. In fact, if I ever have one thing not connect, because you know how it is, dude, sometimes stuff just doesn't sync, whatever's not reading your heart rate just stops working halfway through the ride and it's always like annoying but it's been really nice to have those numbers and for myself especially like on the xc bike which i'm learning so much about right now it has helped me just pace myself and also there's times when you're just moving slow because of the terrain and you're putting down real power but for whatever reason a headwind or slow ground or something that something could be slowing you down and you have to be like, okay, like I am doing 500 watts right now. (laughs) Like I feel so blown up because I'm doing this power. And for whatever reason, my terrain is making me feel like I'm going slow. And like, those are things that have helped me pace my rides a ton. So it's kind of interesting. Like I really do see the value of all these data. And I think that there's just areas where people want it more than others. Like if you're not in intuitive with how you feel when you wake up in the morning or how you feel 30 minutes after waking up, then maybe the HRV reading that you get from whoop and all that data is really going to be more beneficial to whereas me, I feel like just learning about my power on the bike is more beneficial. But I also understand the value of doing it with strength workouts and how we need to incorporate it there. So it's a it's a great conversation. But that's kind of my personal take on it.
1: Our second question comes from at Dylan Coburn on Instagram. He asks if we have a podcast where we talk a little bit more in depth about juggling business, writing, training, and family life. He mentioned that he feels like he faces so much resistance of getting out the door, things to do, splitting up time, and it's not a constant situation, but he's feeling some seasons come in and out and he's wondering if we have a podcast where we mention it or maybe what we do.
0: Yeah, I actually had sent him immediately the episode we did with Chaz, however, the first episode, which I believe was around episode 90. We've done two in the last couple months with Chaz, but it was the first one focused on balancing family, a business, writing, all of those things that the majority of us are trying to balance. And so that's a great episode if you want to dive into it, because we discuss even schedules as a a professional going from not having kids to having kids and how that dynamic changes. And there's a lot of details in there that I think you'll really appreciate. But I'll tell you, it is changing so much right now, day to day. And one thing I had learned from that talk with Chaz is about how it really is this kind of moving target in regards to the perfect schedule. Because one week you'll feel like you're nailing it and the next week that same thing just doesn't work anymore for some reason. And even my workday today, I normally do a trainer road ride in the morning, but today I'm on my XC bike and I'm gonna do a ride more in the middle of the day. But like just changing those out of order really had me thinking about (laughs) all these other, like it it shuffled around everything in my day and it's so funny, but the reason I've spent so much time on the trainer the last year is because of the simplicity of schedule. And it has helped me so much stay consistent because it's one less thing to think about. Did I bring my shoes? Did I do this? I like walk out into the garage, with whatever kit, with whatever socks, with whatever, get it done before my my real day starts. So even though I'm really stoked to be able to add this XC ride in, it's gonna be a lot more fun. I'm actually vlogging on today's ride, but it just took a lot more effort and thought process. So today, my normal dialed Tuesday schedule got flipped on its head just because I was trying to do something a little bit different. So I definitely don't have it figured out, but I will tell you, the biggest thing that's helped me keep, I would say good balance overall with the family life riding business is the fact that I have narrowed in exactly what my focuses are. And it's, it's those things like part of my daily mission statement is that like, I will not be distracted. Like those are my actual goals and my, the real foundation of what I need to do. If there's something that comes up in my life that isn't a yes for my family or isn't a yes for business or isn't a yes for my own writing, it's probably a no. And I've gotten more and more confident about that, but it's hard for people to do. People have a hard time not doing that random thing or taking that random opportunity, but I've just gotten more and more and more focused. And just so you guys know, I don't do anything really outside of what you see. I literally just ride my bike for my only sport. I literally spend most of my time with family or with the people I work with. And all my other time and energy is spent on work and a very, very little time is spent doing kind of random stuff. I was just telling my wife, Lish, that I was surfing through Instagram, which honestly, scrolling Instagram now is so connected with work that it's hard for me to really do. I have a private account that is like fully incognito where I just follow like cooking platforms and stuff. And I follow some random celebrities and it's where I go when I want to, fully see things that are different from my normal day to day life. But even then I'll, I'll hop on that like once a week and I'll scroll for 30 minutes and I'm like whoa it was really nice to get out of my own zone and my own rhythm. Because uh, even when I'm just watching YouTube at home, you know I'm watching races and I'm watching cycling vlogs and weightlifting vlogs and because it, it's really what I love to do but it's so rare that I disconnect out of that and I think that's the thing that people have the hardest time with is that they want to prioritize their family and they want to prioritize they're riding, but they just can't say no to dirt biking that one day. They just can't say no to snowboarding this season. They just can't say no to going out to the lake and chilling on a boat or whatever. And, like, again, these are really fun things that I'm not telling you not to do, but it is so rare that I do them and I have so many opportunities to do them. So, I Really, like even at this point with kids, I don't see myself doing that kind of stuff unless it probably includes my family, because those random fun things are probably just going to be for the family moving forward in the future. And I'm totally okay with that. So I would just get very, very clear on the things that are most important to you and commit to them wholeheartedly and just let the other stuff go. Just let it go. Like, it's okay to have to meet new people like it's okay to go separate ways with things that you've loved up until this point, if it's not serving who you want to be now and in the future. That's the biggest thing. It's like, you don't want to overthink everything you do in life, that'd be exhausting. But try and set your life up to the point where you don't have to make many decisions. You're kind of just doing these things like I don't really a struggle to decide to go ride my bike or strength train or you know there's been days this year with the family where I'm like wow I wish I, <laughs> I wish I had time to myself today and I just have to watch my kids and so it'll come up but like I don't have to make those decisions very frequently like it's very easy to just kind of know what I'm gonna do so yeah just ask yourself when something comes up does it really serve who you are and your ultimate goal and purpose and if it does it's probably easy yes if you really have to question it and you're struggling for time that's an easy no. If you if you have a lot of time on your hands, you could probably have more freedom to do some stuff. But I'll tell you right now, the habits you build when you don't have a family, when you don't have all these distractions and responsibilities, and even with dialed health growing, there's stuff I deal with on a daily basis now, things I'm responsible for and timelines and stuff where like, <laughs> like I really don't have a choice if I want to be successful when I do certain things. So I'm just saying, use your time that you have now to build the habits to support your life when it gets way crazier. Because, dude, even with, you know, the kids now, it's like my morning routine has gotten so messed up. The sleep we just discussed has gotten so messed up. Like, thank God I implemented this mindset before all of these things pulled me away from it. I think that's, that's the hardest thing for people is like getting to this point where you need to make a change, but you have so many things in life pulling you away from the real ability to do that. So yeah, if you have free time, you have an advantage and your advantage would be using it, I guess. <laughs> so use your free time to line things up with your goals and get a head start that way. Uh, Amber, sorry, that was a full on like I'm looking the other direction rant. Do you have anything you want to add to that?
1: I mean, I'll try to keep it brief, but I, I posted something on Instagram a while back and I feel like it is really on point with this. And it's just the thought that there's no such thing as balancing work and family. I'll just read part of the quote. There's no such thing as balancing work and family. This language points us towards a problem to be solved, a destination at which we arrive. And it's far more accurate to say that relationship with partner, relationship with children, relationship with work exists as an evolving, noisy conversation. And I think that what you were saying is you have to be intentional about your time. And in my head, it's intentional time with those relationships, not trying to like achieve some balance because there are going to be weeks your marriage requires more time intention or your work requires more intention. And those are going to be like big ebbs and flows. You're never going to achieve work-life balance. You're just going to have to assess it on a week by week basis and decide what needs your focus. And that's, I'm not a pro either. Like I struggle too, because I've got a lot on my plate, but I do my morning pages every morning and figure out what needs my focus. And that keeps me feeling a lot less overwhelmed. So I can spend my time intentionally. So that's, my biggest piece of advice.
0: Oh, that's so good. Also, what is balance like? Has anyone really defined what family balance actually means? Because if it's time, then I promise you that you could be blowing it. I have spent hours of time with my family where I'm on my phone trying to work and I'm not present with them. Versus having you know way less time with them, but being a hundred percent present, playing with my kids cooking food, talking to my wife, really getting in a real conversation. So like maybe the time spent was way less, but the connection was way deeper and you feel like you got way more out of it. So how are you measuring this balance thing? I, I don't know. Like, that's something to keep in mind because some days maybe you do spend a little more time with your family, but it's a little less quality. Maybe sometimes you spend really good quality time, but it's a lot shorter, you know, or vice versa. It's like the <laughs> same thing with how your workouts can feel. Your bike rides can feel this way. Work itself can feel that way. We've all had days where stuff lines up and you get a lot done and it's very productive. And you're like, wow, I nailed it. And I've only been, clocked in for four hours or whatever you want to call it then there's days that have dragged on and you work all day and you don't get a lot done and maybe you had a setback and you're like well that sucked that didn't feel like a balanced productive day so i think it's maybe if you if you really are trying to figure out like a balance define what balance is i, I couldn't tell you what it is i think the shorter more valuable deep focus time is probably where your money's at but then again you're, you're gonna have both
1: Up next, we have weekly announcements for our favorite Dialed Fam. I mean, we like everybody, but we like the Dialed Fam the most. So why don't we uh, tell them what the first announcement is, one they already know because it's the new podcast schedule and they're already here for it.
0: That's true. And we should probably just elaborate on that. So we have been working with our new podcast production crew, Moxie Media. Shout out to Chelsea. She's freaking killing it, dude. We had a great talk last week just about continuing to grow the podcast. So she's had some really great ideas up to this point. Very actionable things, which I appreciate about Chelsea's advice. And I think that we are taking the steps in the right direction. Like production is obviously a lot better. Like the back end rhythm, I'll just tell you guys, has been way more enjoyable for me personally. Bringing Amber on the show has been just like a really fun way that the episodes have gotten smoother and it's a different dynamic, but it's also more complex. Like just so you guys know in the back end, like when I was doing these episodes on my own, I'm recording into my phone, doing it any time of day. Literally there were podcasts I did at like 9 p.m. at night because I was so behind on schedule or something. So just the organization of even having a third guest on and and scheduling it, making sure all the mics and everything's working correctly, that's been a big level up for us, to be honest. It may sound minor, but it's it's another thing to think about. So we we've gotten really consistent with that. One thing Chelsea has encouraged us to do is to just get bigger guests to try and really grow our audience. Because what's funny is that we haven't really made attempts to bring in new audience outside of the actual dialed fam and the community through Instagram and our current social outreach that we have through Dialed Health only, which is very strange. You think the most obvious thing we would do is get a bigger guest on, get their audience in. And we just haven't done that yet, which is okay because the goal has been to support the dialed fan members specifically, but we do want the podcast to continue to grow and if that could bring dialed fan members that would be great so by the way this is gonna be a sneak peek we have spencer Rathcamp coming on pretty dang soon which would be a bigger guest for us and we get to talk to him about so much rad content. If you don't follow Spencer on Instagram, go follow it. I'll just tee you up for next week on that one. So then another thing that she has requested us doing is video. We're going to start uploading video clips to YouTube. Eventually give us some time on that. We got to figure out some layers but it was also changing the schedule. So she had mentioned that people tend to be most excited about podcasts on Monday, which I will agree. I probably feel the same way. Monday morning, you're ready to get on your commute, get into your workflow for the week and you're going to scope the podcasts that are out. So we're like, why not just freaking launch it on monday so we're going to start doing our main episode every single monday and we're going to start doing the weekly thoughts on thursday and so the second episode weekly thoughts by the way that's completely new so far we have had good feedback we talked to our Dowd fam behind the scenes local keith knight shout out to him. I just went to a friend's giving with him and he said, dude, I love the weekly thoughts, but I just wish they were longer. And I didn't even tell you that Amber. So it's good feedback, but people already want it longer. You know, honestly, that would be easy to do if if we wanted to, but it was Chelsea's idea to do it on Thursday opposed to Friday, which was what I thought would be ideal. So yeah, we're excited. We're going to try it out. It seemed like this Thanksgiving transition was a perfect time to switch up the new schedule, kind of moving forward. So that's it. New podcast schedule. That's kind of all the stuff that's happening with the podcast. And And I'm excited to keep implementing the new stuff. So far, it's working.
1: Leading into the next announcement, we have the update on the LEL winter kits. Those are going to be dropping Santa style. Likely like the week of Christmas, which is pretty exciting because... I mean, maybe I'll like wrap that and put it under the tree from you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right. Those are actually from me to you. Perks of being working for the health. And that's weird. It's like, I feel like I'm talking about it in third person, even though we're really building a team right now, which we may or may not be bringing on someone new right now. We can't announce that yet. Dang, there's so much cool stuff happening. I just got to say, we'll get to our, our team kits real quick. We had a team call on Friday with a new member and it was so surreal for me. I was like, wow, there's like three people on this call with me right now. We're talking about a lot of moving parts. <laughs> it felt really good. And that's not even including like the freelance people like Moxie Media that we work with. So, anyways, super sick. We wanted to let everyone know who bought the winter kits. The just to remind you they're coming. What was the time window? 6 to 10 weeks, 8 to 10 weeks?
1: I think it was 8 to 10. I think it's week of Christmas that they'll be dropping in uh, to get delivered. Should be. I hope
0: so. Yeah, and that was the one weird thing. We're like, well, would it get delayed just because of Christmas shipping? I I honestly don't know. I'll tell you that LEL has been awesome to work with up to this point with the shipping has been like like pretty dang flawless in regards to timing and everything, like all over the world. It's been great. So I wouldn't expect it to be any different. And just thanks for ordering those, even knowing that it was going to be an eight to 10 week wait. And we're going to be getting our thermal bibs and our thermal long sleeves and neck gaiters and vests. Dude, we sold, man, a pretty significant amount of gear. And I'm excited that people get to go into the the, you know, the real start of winter with all of that gear on. So thanks for waiting, guys. Thanks for the support. The truth is we don't make any money off of those at all. It's just another marketing effort. And I got to tell you, it's really surreal when I see people post photos riding with Dialed Health logos on them. Like that is one of the coolest things ever. So thanks for repping. Thanks for the support. And I can't wait for you to get those. Hopefully they'll be packed up under the tree from Santa himself.
1: And up next, we have the app update. You're always just dropping the new announcements and I don't even know about stuff. And then you like sneak in little like tastes of things. I'm like, I don't even know about that. So like, maybe I guess fill me in.
0: Honestly, I am not surprised that's the case for you because for example, my dad watches my kids two days a week and he was on a hunting trip. He was gone for two weeks. And the amount of stuff that has happened in two weeks, Amber, that I was updating him with was unreal. As I was spitting it out, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I can't believe you've only been gone for two weeks and this many things have been happening. So yeah, there, there's just so much going on. I love it though. But the app update, I mean, it's the biggest thing that we're doing right now. You guys, we are we're literally building the Dialed Health app. We're aiming for the end of Q1 to launch it and it's in development. So before we went into the holidays, I talked with our team behind the scenes, Modern Maguire Productions, and we had an Dude, a one-hour call, all about the app, all about moving through the holidays, the launch, and, and really the goal of the call was like, what is our starting launch product that we can feel good about putting out and starting this whole app adventure with? Because like the website, it's gonna be, in really like most things online, we're gonna put it out and we're gonna just be constantly updating it from that point. I mean, really, the what we put out initially is gonna be the most minimal version of what we hope to do in the future. So it's not trying to set the bar low by any means, it's just what you have to do. And you don't really even know what customers really want until they start using it. And we're not going to just assume all of these things are necessary and put all this time and money and energy into something that maybe isn't actually needed by the community. So what we decided was like, we have the website to support the app now, which has been kind of the big master plan all along. And there's a few things we need to do to the website before the app actually gets launched. Now, the biggest one is Strava integration. Now, our goal is for members to be able to use the calendar as their primary calendar for all of their training because right now it's like everything uploads to Strava, whether it's from your Garmin or from Trainer Road or whatever. Most people can use their Strava account as their main calendar to see all their rides. Or, like myself, I do a lot of it on Trainer Road because my Strava rides link back to my Trainer Road calendar. But where are my strength workouts? <laughs> they're on the dialed health calendar and they're separate. It. And this is why we've talked about doing like TSS scores for strength workouts and, and rating the intensity and all this stuff. It will happen, I promise. But that's where it all comes in is like building out your training week that seeing the strain how to recover all this stuff. So if we could get your rides on our calendar, which I'm just gonna say it sounds like we should be able to do it without any major roadblocks, but we'll just see. I don't understand any of this stuff. Thank God our web team is as good as they are, because they right away talked about the action plan for that. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I was like, you could have literally been speaking another language I wouldn't have known, but let's freaking go. So it only makes sense that we would integrate Strava to the calendar on the website first and then focus on the app from there. So that's what we're doing and hopefully going to have it launched beginning December. Again, you guys, I'll be honest. I'm always very transparent on this. I don't know the exact date yet. (laughs) I really don't. Uh, With the holiday, we just told ourselves, like, this is our game plan. Let's reconnect the week after Thanksgiving and go from there. So that's kind of the plan. And you're hearing this, the start of the week after Thanksgiving. So um, pretty much up to this point, we have the same amount of information. But now that's kind of been set in stone as far as that's the big thing we need before moving on to the app. Now, what is the minimum app going to be? Well, I really think it should be really focused around the calendar and navigated from the calendar. So if you open up the app, you're logged in, and you should be able to already have your training for you that day. Because but well, the thing people are going to be opening it up to use frequently is there's training. So it's like, how do we get you to your training session that day as fast as possible and as easy as possible? The goal would be you open it up and it's right in front of you. So, from there, we want to be able to direct people into adding workouts, taking off workouts. And, like, what would be the real function of the app at that point? Well, the function is going to be a very usable integrated calendar. And that gets you to all of your directed workouts. And every workout, we're going to change the layout of some things. But the goal is big, easy buttons, <laughs> big, easy buttons that are clean, branded. And, you know, I, I had to tell them, I was like, I've seen apps that just look corny because every button is so like almost cartoony and stuff. Our goal is to really stay on brand with some more modern design, but thankfully we have so much of that integrated already, it should be easier. And like, we just want you to be able to use the calendar, add workouts, track workouts, record your information, get in, get out as easy as possible. So including the videos into that, including rep ranges and all those things, the layout is gonna be different. So it's more simple, easier to use, bigger buttons, cleaner, faster. That's the real goal. But we also want people to still be connected to the blog we're still trying to get more on top of our forum which people are using and just to be honest like we just know it's not there yet value wise because of the back end involvement which it's like amber why do i even why do i talk trash on our own product ever i just (laughs) like why would i say it's not there it's just the truth dude i i use this i know
1: You're not the kind of person to BS anybody. You know, we have things to work on because you've said it a million times. We want to be the best in what we do because there are so many trainers that are doing too many things. We want to be best at what we do. So we're aware that we want to be better. And I don't think it's a bad thing.
0: No, thanks for that. I mean, it it is true. And I'm probably not going to stop being this way and uh, i hope you guys appreciate it because i i know i know where a lot of the flaws are in the product and i think maybe the transparent i feel confident with talking about it because i know how hard we're working i know that it helps for sure if i was sitting on my butt with these problems then maybe i would be a little more insecure about it but anyways so Our goal is like, we have this usable calendar, but we wanna be able to link you to all the website, but we don't need to probably include all of these things on the app itself, but we could have links to it. So I think if you're trying to use something outside of the calendar and the workouts specifically, then you'll have the option to go directly to it, but it'll take you out of the app to Safari or whatever you're using to the website. So like you click on forum, it's just going to open up another page to the website. You click on the recipes or you click on the journal or whatever, or like the community link, contact us, all these things, they're going to go back to the website. So I'm, I'm really stoked about that because we had to just really define what it is that we're going to do right off the start. And it doesn't, I want to say it doesn't sound like much, but it's primarily what people, what our product is. It's the workouts and the calendar. And so focusing on those two things and making them as optimal as possible, I think is like, I, I think it's the way to go. I think if we start trying to do too much outside of that, that we are, Maybe going to miss the mark. So our goal is continue to move forward with the website, the back end, you know, like even the recipes, we're adding recipes constantly, we just got like 30 different new ones that we're going to be uploading. So there are these awesome things happening there. But we really want to make sure that the real true functionality of the app is clean, even if the options are limited. And it's very simple to start if it just works clean, and easy then man i think we we did our job because like amber this week i even got a cancellation feedback form that said i love the product i just wish it was a little easier to use i'll be back when the app is here like that's what they said and i was like you know what thank you i guess i mean like i wish you would stay (laughs) we we need your support and we honestly need your payment to help like get the app here (laughs) like is what i think but i don't blame people for for wanting that and it also makes me very hopeful that you know I would say that we've been very successful up to this point. We're still growing with members, and we have some very, very happy users. And to know that there are people that are into it and that the product just needs to catch up, I think it's encouraging. I don't know what you think, Amber, but when I get feedback like that, I'm not that bummed.
1: Well, I mean, and to be honest, like the things we are prioritizing, we're prioritizing because our members, have they voiced it to us. The amount of times we've heard, when are we getting Strava integration? If we had a nickel for every time we got asked that, we probably could have paid for the app by now, for real. We're using that to make sure that we're optimizing the things that we need to optimize. And so just know that your membership is going to that and we're doing it because you're asking us to. We want it to be used. Great.
0: Yeah. And with that being said, we're just so we are so truly grateful for everyone that's involved as a fan member. Right now, like the impact you're having, man, I can't even explain to you how crucial it has been for us to even develop the product. Like I, I know that it's crazy, but I know that there are people like I've talked to people that loved out health so much and admittedly don't use the workouts as consistently as they should, but they just want to support and be involved early on like this. And it's just, that's obviously not what I want. The goal is what m- the majority members are doing, which is they're working out, they're getting the results and they're happy with the whole package. And that's what we want, but it's like the impact of these first thousand members, because we are getting closer, people, is it is just unreal. So everyone listening to this Dolphin member right now. That's you. And I, I really want to thank you guys for that, man. It's just so rad. And I'll tell you guys, OK, last side tangent before we get out of the announcements, because this is like turning into weekly thoughts. But I'll tell you. I talk to a lot of strength trainers for cyclists online and I'm very supportive of everyone. I'm very open about what we're doing, how we're doing it. When people ask me questions, I'm like, boom, like this is, this is what we're doing. This is how most of the time I get feedback on like, Oh, building a website like that is too expensive or, Oh man, well, I want to offer all these other services too. And what I think of right away, you guys is just like, that's why you're going to lose. I'm like, okay, go do your thing, but I'm telling this is what we're doing. There's a reason why we're doing it. It's so many people stop themselves from even asking themselves, how could I afford this? Like, dude, I couldn't afford the website when I fir- we first built it. I just paid the website off last month, by the way, thanks to the first thousand members. That's insane timing right before the app comes in. You know, the fact that we found an investor is because we've worked our way up to this point. And even then, dude, I am not just spending money. <laughs> like, We are still operating so lean, but I've never been like, oh, we can't, we just can't do this. It's it's like, how do we do it? Like, okay, that's what it is. How do we do it? And we're freaking getting it done, which I'm really proud of. And also when I just had another cancellation feedback because I get them daily people. Thankfully, I get a lot more (laughs) startup program recommendations and all that stuff, a lot more. But uh, the cancellation feedback, I got one that was like, oh, I really wish you offered on the bike training and And then I had someone also a separate person say, I wish you offered like skills coaching too. And like this person, I'm like, wow, they want on the bike training, off the bike training and skills coaching all in one place. I'm like, if you find that, I promise you, well, I don't know if I want to say that yet, but most likely not one of those areas is going to be the best version of it. There's no way. I can't think of a brand that does all of these things the best. And we do strength training for cyclists the best in the world. Our mythology around strength training is the best. It's the best if you want to strength train consistently. It's the best if you want long-term results, to be out of pain, to get real power, to work with high-volume riding schedules. Like, it is the best. So I feel so 100% confident in that. And when people ask me to do skills coaching, uh, which is really nice, and I think I could do well at it, honestly, being a trainer and all this stuff, it's just, it's not what we do the best. When people ask me like for riding programs, could I give you a, a riding program that would probably work and get you up to like a cat one or something? Like probably, I actually, I probably could, but it's not what I do 100%. I can't put my everything behind it, but I can with strength training. And that's why we have this product is because I really feel, I, it's, it's just, I, I know we're doing it the best. And that's what I have been training in it's what all my experience is in and now we're bringing in more people to the team that support that whole message and so that's what you're going to get i mean like especially for the cost it's like to want all those things i mean wouldn't wouldn't you rather have each of those areas and just the best version of it like why would you have a couple watered down things opposed to just a trainer road subscription and a dialed health subscription like get the best (laughs) go get the best anyways sorry amber i know you didn't expect that rant but i just get so much feedback from people and it it can be a lot of noise and so i have to just stay focused and, and remember why we do things the way that we do
1: All right, podcast fam, that wraps up another great episode. Mental health, loved the topic. I'm really proud of this episode and really thankful to everybody listening.
0: Amber, you nailed this episode. I'm so happy you were a part of it. Huge thank you to Taylor Ledeen. Please go follow him on Instagram. He has great content, a lot to learn from him in a lot of different areas, as you could tell. So yeah, we appreciate it. And also next week is our 100th episode. I just have to say that. Our plan is to have Spencer Rathcamp on it but it's pretty surreal to have this 100 episode mark to actually get in those triple digits. I think is pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to, to putting out that and just kind of embracing the fact that, wow, there's a lot of hours of me rambling on here. And uh, hopefully we can continue to improving it. So thanks to everyone. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app. Just say anything positive. Also, Google reviews. If you're a Dialed Fan member, please go to Google and leave us a five-star review. And again, just say anything positive about the website that is super beneficial for us along with sharing it on your social media you can screenshot it or screen record it share it to your instagram story and tag dialed health i'll do my best to repost it and i gotta say amber i used to be able to repost everyone's stuff it is getting harder like i have had a harder time keeping up with reposts which is a great thing so if i miss it people i apologize but i want to thank you guys for putting that up and i'll do my best to post it because i love doing it so that's it have an awesome week. And with that being said, we'll see you next Thursday for weekly thoughts. Tune back in people.